Network. And to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. My name is Ken Smith. I'm your host. I'm a certified financial planner with a master's degree in financial analysis and the CEO of Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. Today, I have Eric Lair, our director of research, joining me. Good afternoon. Hey, again, Great to be here. Good to see you. Eric, can you give us your background? Sure. I have a master's degree in economics as well as a master's degree in computational finance and risk management. Good. That's going to come in handy. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas. Usually I have uh, one of my business partners, Ethan Broga, on the show. Today he is in a very important series of meetings, uh, helping with some financial planning work he's doing. So uh, Eric is filling in, and we're going to do the best we can without Ethan. Today is January 16th. We're just a little over two weeks into the new year, Eric, and... Uh, I thought we could go over the return so far this year in the different asset classes, and you submitted several articles to me. I found some others just reading in journals, and uh, I'd like to maybe click through those and try to uh, share some ideas on retirement planning and some of the things that I've, we've been doing here recently with some of the clients we've been working with that may help you as our listener make make some uh, uh, better decisions or better process around making retirement planning decisions. Um, But we'll get to that after we go through some articles. Before we do all that, I'd like to give out our contact information and tell you a little bit about how we can help you on an individual uh, investor level. If you want to give us a call during the show, you can call 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Five seven nine zero, and you would do that if you want to comment about anything we're talking about, or you have a particular question about uh, anything financial. We'd be happy to try to an- do our best to answer it. This is a live program today, so uh, we'll, if we don't have all the answers, we'll definitely bring the question up, and then we'll research it and, and get that covered. Uh, if you'd like to reach us throughout the week, though, on a off air and in a personal. Uh, conversation. We'd be happy to help you. We've got clients all over the country and uh, some are traveling all over the world. And we'd be happy to offer to you a free analysis of your current financial situation with uh, some guidance on how we may be able to put a a retirement plan and investment plan together for you. No obligation or pressure to work with us. We're fee-only advisors. Um, And we make it very clear how we would be compensated well in advance. 
But if you would like us to take a look at that, give us a call here at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or you can shoot me an email directly. And my email address is ksmith at empirical.net, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L dot net. And you can also shoot a, a, a if you want us to uh, look at, over a question throughout the week and you want us to cover it on the program, shoot an email to contact at empiradio.com. And uh, our uh, in-house engineer here, Simon Liu, will get that, they get that email over to you tonight and we'll, we'll do our best to get you the answers you want. All right, Eric, well, do you want to cover, go over just quick... Uh, Overview what's going on in the market so far this year? Sure, we can take a look at that. Uh, so, as you mentioned, a couple of weeks into the year, it's, markets have been mostly flat. Uh, U.S. markets down a little bit. The Dow Jones is down about one percent on the year. Uh, S and P is down thirteen basis points. Uh, small cap growth is continuing its phenomenal run last year. It's up two percent this year. Um, let's see. The international developed countries, so that's Europe and Far East and um, Australia, is mostly flat so far this year. Uh, emerging markets has struggled a bit, down about 4%. Uh, so keep an eye on that asset class. And moving over to interest rates, we actually saw a fairly decent-sized drop in uh, market rates this last week. So... Uh, we were looking at about 3% on the 10-year U.S. Treasury rate. It's down to 2.84. The 10-year uh, municipal dropped about 13 basis points as well. So, interesting. I think uh, people are pe- people were a little uh, anxious about the unemployment numbers we got from December. And just recapping that... Uh, the official unemployment rate dropped to 6.7%, uh, but the majority of that was people leaving the job market, and I think around 77,000 jobs, new jobs were created, which was much lower than expected. I think mm. it, they were expecting around 200,000, so uh, the market generally viewed that as bad news, and I think people were maybe anticipating that that'll have effect on the Fed policy, so building their rates accordingly. Gotcha. Um, is there anything else? I would just point out, uh, as I was scanning our the broader asset classes we like to track, um, last year real, the U.S. real estate securities portfolio we track was up about uh, less than 2% for the year. It was something like 1.39%. But so far year to date, in the first couple of weeks, of those the broad asset classes that I track, it is the top-performing one up about three over three percent um, in the last couple of weeks. So it's interesting to see that the message of asset allocation diversification that we preach over and over again, uh, even in short periods of time, it's interesting to watch how it how it takes takes effect. Sure, um, along those same lines, uh, international real estate did around turned around four percent last year, four or five percent. And uh, in 2012, it was the highest performing asset class, I want to say. It returned 30%. Very interesting. Okay, anything else on the the general market uh, update you want to talk about? 
Uh, you got it? I think so. I think it's been fairly uneventful January so far. Okay. Well, let's start with a, a, a couple of general um, articles, uh, Eric, and we'll, we'll see where that takes us. Um, I, I like the one you passed me. Uh, it was in the Wall Street Journal, a little highlight here, what taxpayers should watch for in 2014. And uh, it's written by Laura Saunders. It says, comprehensive overhaul of the Byzantine U.S. tax system is highly unlikely this year. Given the congressional elections, experts say, but some less ambitious changes stand a better chance in 2014. Here's a look at tax changes lawmakers will be considering. We've got uh, several expired provisions, uh, more than half a dozen, that expired at the end of 2013, which included the individual retirement account charitable rollover provision for people 70 and a half. And um, just to illuminate you on that, Eric, and our listeners, that uh, individuals that had IRA accounts that were taking required minimum distributions uh, could take a distribution up to uh, $100,000. And if they donated that to charity, they would not uh, recognize the distribution as taxable income which uh, otherwise they would have. Uh, Also, an exclusion for mortgage debt forgiveness that would otherwise generate taxable income. Um, Additionally, a state sales tax deduction in lieu of income taxes. Even if Congress retroactively reinstates these provisions, as have happened several times in the last decades, experts don't expect any action until nearly year end. LA will be particularly hard on IRA donors, who get the tax breaks for making the direct gifts up to, oh, there is $100,000 of retirement account assets. Experts caution that such donors may want to see if the Congress acts before making their required annual withdrawals this year. Online and mail order sales taxes. Alaska, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oregon don't levy state sales taxes. Elsewhere, residents owe sales tax on the purchases or the equivalent use tax if the item was bought out of state. Whether out-of-state retailers have to collect such taxes has been a continuing controversy for more than two decades and one with huge implications for online retailers such as Amazon.com, which now collects sales and use taxes from consumers in 19 different states. Last year, states with sales taxes and their allies, retailers that automatically collect tax on purchases, often in stores, won an important battle In December, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear a case in which Amazon challenged a New York state law requiring Amazon and others to collect sales tax because of relationships with in-state affiliates. Now the focus shifts to a bill that the U.S. Senate passed in May, the Marketplace Fairness Act, which allows, I'm not doing this electronically, states to require remote sellers to collect taxes from consumers. The bill is currently in the House Judiciary Committee, and sellers with more than $1 million of remote sales a year would have to collect taxes for the states they ship to, says Craig Johnson, who heads the Streamlined Sales Tax Governing Board, which seeks to standardize and simplify how states collect sales tax. Quote, buyers owe this tax already, and I'm confident most retailers will be collecting it in the near future, he says. Educational tax breaks. In October, the House Ways and Committee Members Diane Black and Annie and Danny Davis released a bill consolidating four federal higher education tax benefits, the American Opportunity Tax Credit, 
The HOPE credit, the lifetime learning credit, and the tuition deduction. The bill aims to simplify what critics are often say are often confusing requirements for the different breaks. For example, the American Opportunity Credit is the best choice for many, but part-time students may not qualify for it. By contrast, the Lifetime Learning Credit is less generous but more flexible. Some taxpayers might not may, may no longer qualify for a tax break under the proposal, which could spark political resistance. The new bill provides a maximum tax credit of $2,500, the same as existing the existing American Opportunity Credit. But the benefit begins to phase out at just $86,000 of adjusted gross income for most joint filers, half of that for singles. That's much lower than the current level of 160 in AGI for joint filers and half for singles. The chances of passage are unclear, says Melissa Leban, a tax specialist at the AI, uh, the American Institute of CPAs, but it is one to take seriously. And lastly here, Eric, it looks like we've got something called Road Warrior Relief. This proposal would limit the state's ability to tax the income of non-resident employees, such as executives and salespeople, who work in the state for 30 days or less a year. The limit wouldn't apply to professional athletes, entertainers, or other public figures. Currently, there is a crazy quilt of laws and rules affecting road warriors. Some states require withholding for as little as one day of work. The House passed one version of the bill in 2012 and has been reintroduced into the House and the Senate with bipartisan support. Ms. Laban says the CPA group strongly supports the bill and hopes it will be enacted this year. The bill just makes sense, and she adds, why create unnecessary tax prep burdens for people? Good question, Eric. I, I don't know why you do that. Tax reform. Seasoned Washington observers say there is virtually no chance of comprehensive tax overall in 2014. Virtually nada. Although working groups, the House Ways Committees have released proposals on business taxes, there is an equivalent plan for individual taxes because the two parties want to focus on different issues. Who, who wants to say they're going to cut mortgage interest deduction in election year, says Clint Stretch, senior counsel, tax analyst, and non-published uh, publisher. There is a prospect of bigger change down the road. However, President Barack Obama has nominated Senator Max Baucus, who leads the Senate Finance Committee, to be the next ambassador to China, and he's likely to leave the Senate soon. Well, we've got uh, one last thing here. We've got to take a break. Um, there's, so we'll do that, and uh, we'll come back and talk about some other articles. We'll be right back on Empirical Investing Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luz Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Alongside Ken Smith, I'm Eric Lear broadcasting from the beautiful uh, Empirical Tower in downtown Seattle. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to get a hold of us on the show, you can give us a call at 866-472-5790 or shoot us an email at contact at empiradio.com. So before the break, Ken, you were reading about some uh, possible tax changes next year. Yeah, it was just the article you'd forwarded, uh, what taxpayers should watch for in 2014, and uh, Laura Saunders gave a, a couple of ideas there um, about, you know, what's changed and, and what might happen. And, you know, one of the things I, I was going to share after reading that article, Eric, was just some of the some of the things we've been working on um, within our, our wealth management practice here. We have multiple CPAs on staff as a part of the team that works with us. And I really have seen firsthand the value of a comprehensive approach to financial planning and, and, invest, and, and managing your investments. And so the, the idea that investors can get easy access to a lot of uh, investment data, they can subscribe to Barron's, they can subscribe to a whole number of uh, publications, online research and tools, and I think that's all very great. Um, what has been shown is all that additional information hasn't translated into better returns for the average investor, uh, which is a little contrary to what I think people would expe- have expected to see. But I think that goes to the emotional connection to investing. It's very hard to detach ourselves emotionally, and the more information that's readily available... The actually, actually more and more difficult it is to get an edge over other investors. Um, that edge that has existed uh, is is very difficult when you have very, very 
um, large investment complexes with more than enough resources to dedicate to sophisticated computer programs and some of the smartest people in the world. And as a group, they can only return what the market returns. That's the mathematics, and last week we talked a little bit about that on the program, the simple mathematics of the market. So what 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 is the value, I guess, and in, in, in terms of where you are going to expend your resources, whether those resources are your personal time, the time and effort that you take, or whether they are through the dollars that you put out to receive any type of advice or, or investment help, uh, or the advisors that you're working with. And what I've seen over the 18 years that I've been doing this is that there is enormous amount of value in a coordination, as our partner Ethan talks a lot about. It. One of the secrets of a successful retirement in implementing, investing, and planning solutions is the efficient coordination of all the potential tools that are out there. And one of those tools is just understanding the tax implications and really making that a part of how you evaluate your financial performance. And so I went recently meeting with um, clients that are heading into retirement, um, a strategy around the, uh, the the way that they're managing their income as they transition from um, earned income at their at their place of employment or their own business into passive income com- being generated from pensions or their investment portfolio and examining opportunities and or potential future threats and part of that is taking the time to really look at and stay on top of what's going on in the current tax code and doing your best to model out what will potentially happen in future years with the tax code. So one of the ways we do that is we take an accounting of the various types of, of investment accounts that an individual has. Do you have ta- money in taxable accounts? Are they in trusts? Are they in annuities? Are they in uh, tax-deferred IRA accounts where pre-tax contributions were made? Were they after-tax contributions in traditional IRAs or 401ks? Do we have Roth IRA accounts? Um, where are we at in the Social Security decision? Have you already begun taking it, or do you have an? Have you not started that process? And um, how does the potential or the the opportunities to make choices around that not only affect the ability to derive the income with the greatest surety that you won't run out of money over your lifetime, but also potentially managing the tax part of that? And so, um, one thing we've been seeing a lot of is the opportunity to defer Social Security to increase by 8% a year, in a lot of cases, the amount that that a person gets, but also use that time where Social Security is, by deferring it, it's not a part of your potential taxable income at 85% of the Social Security payment, and looking for things like opportunities to take a regular IRA account and say, can we convert some of that money uh, to a tax-free bucket? the Roth account, a traditional IRA to a Roth. And if we can do that in a very low, um, could be no bracket if there was no income, uh, could be a very low bracket. We could take it up uh, from zero all the way through the top of the 15% bracket as an example. And how does that relate to my withdrawal strategy from my various types of investments over my lifetime? 
if all my money was in pre-tax IRA accounts, um, one of the issues that I may be dealing with, if, if I've done a, a good job saving my entire life, which I think we're all trained to do, we, more companies have defined contribution or 401k type plans what you save in. A lot of companies actually are making matches into those accounts, which is great. And, and I recommend all the time we take advantage of that. Um, but by doing that, uh, many of us may have a very large ticking tax time bomb waiting for us. And traditional thought has been, well, you defer taking withdrawals from those until you have to if you can get it from other areas. So taking Social Security early and then withdrawing from your IRA later, the problem with that is the way the code's set up. You may be forced to make some very large withdrawals after you're 70 and a half if you've had a great advisor or you've had a great strategy of investing where that IRA has become a very substantial asset. And those required minimums, and we were just talking here about, well, one loophole is if you're very if you're charitable, you could give some of that money um, away. But that that's not apparently at this point unsure if that will be continued in, into the future. Um, but one of the issues may be that hey, just the amount you're required, even if you don't need to spend that money, you're going to have to put it in your in your taxable account. The amount you may be required to take out of that account can be large enough to push you into a moderately high bracket. So in a recent scenario we were looking at, it may push them into the thirty into, using today's tax brackets into the thirties thirty three plus percent um, just from the required minimum distributions that they'll be taking from their IRA accounts into the future. So what you want to do is, is look at that and say, hey, I'd like to have options um, and, and across different types of accounts to map out where my income will come from over my lifetime in a way where I'm not paying more tax than I should just because of a failure to plan. And when you're just putting money into investments, say it's you're picking mutual funds or stocks on your own, those investments themselves are not going to coordinate that type of planning for you. Um, and it can add up to a lot of money. And in this particular case, when I worked through the projections, through age 95, um, it was about a million and a half dollars of potential tax savings. And there's a lot of assumptions in that, but um, assuming that the tax code stayed as it was and just inflated the brackets inflated at a very moderate level, um, it could be a large amount of tax. And the other part of it is, well, if you have an inclination to leave a legacy behind, how you leave that legacy to the next beneficiary, uh, particularly if they are not charitable beneficiaries, but uh, family members as an example. Um, so there are multiple things within that. Once you've determined how your buckets are laid out in terms of tax-free, uh, after-tax, tax-deferred, tax-free Roth uh, accounts versus taxable versus traditional IRAs, um, it, you have another set of decisions to make that investment managers by themselves or money put into managed accounts or other things really can't make for you. They don't know your overall picture. Um, and that is, well, I have a decision on how I can invest those different accounts. So, Eric, I know you, you help me work on this a lot. How, how should we structure the investments across these different type of tax buckets? 
And one idea that we've utilized is, well, if the Roth IRAs are traditionally, we want them to grow for at least the first half of the retirement phase. Um, we always have them as a reserve to pull tax-free money when we need it. Um, but if that is an option, we can put a little higher growth rate uh, expected return assets in those buckets. And uh, that leaves a larger tax income tax-free estate to pass on to beneficiaries. I have some more ideas about this, Eric. I know you're on the edge of your seat, but we've got to take a quick break. And uh, we'll come back with them at Empirical Investing Radio right after this uh, quick, quick commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. I am Eric Lear, Director of Research here at Empirical, alongside our CEO, Ken Smith. And uh, before the break, Ken, you were talking about essentially uh, tax strategies and ways to avoid paying unnecessary tax on your, uh, on your investments. Uh, and I thought I, had, I could add a little to that in terms of the, of the specific investments you use. Um, we, we've seen a lot of... Uh, outside accounts and people doing this on their own, people working with other advisors, brokers. Uh, and there isn't necessarily a, a coordinated approach to uh, picking investments that maybe are the most tax efficient. So if you, for example, if you invest in a mutual fund and uh, that particular fund 
is a uh, stock picking fund that has a high level of turnover. Um, aside from the fact that those funds tend to be expensive and underperform their uh, their target index, they also generate a lot of uh, taxable consequences, uh, particularly short term capital gains. Uh, so. And the same thing goes if you, you're holding a portfolio of individual stocks that you're selling a lot of, portfolio of bonds that you're buying and selling a lot. And uh, something that, that we do here and we would encourage all investors to do is to at least uh, look at the, the tax consequences of any investments you may be holding. Uh, if you're going to be uh, buying or if you're going to be selling holdings, uh, it, it's always better to, this is in, in taxable accounts, of course, if you're in tax-deferred accounts, to, uh, or Roth IRAs really isn't a big consideration, but in taxable accounts, if you're going to be selling something, uh, it's it's ideal, if at all possible, to wait until you've held that asset for a year or more, because then it's, it'll be taxed at a long-term capital gains rate. Uh, otherwise, if you sell something that's short-term, it's, it's going to be taxed at your marginal income tax rate. And uh, starting this year, Eric, just to point out, the top bracket rate climbed uh, from 35% on the on the income brackets to 39.6. And then there's an, uh, some additional uh, potential tax on top of that. But proceed on. I just wanted to point that out that that's, we're talking about tax planning for 2014. Well, that's certainly something for higher income earning individuals that that uh, on the tax strategizing that they want to be very aware of. And it just makes it that much more important with what you're saying about those types of investments, what type you buy and then where. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Ken. So it's, this was an important consideration before. It just got even more important. And uh, so, it's, again, it's, it should be part of an overall strategy. You can't let uh, tax considerations drive your entire investment strategy, but it needs to be a consideration. And uh, at, at Empirical, every single time we, we make a trade, we will look at the, the tax consequences. And again, it's something that we would encourage all investors to do. That, um, and just to clarify that, also the even long-term capital gains rates are going from 15 to 20 percent in this year, and um, all are part of your net investment income, including the long-term capital gains. And dividends could be subject to the additional 3.8% Medicare tax. Um, so you, 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 get, you can get into some pretty high uh, tax situations there if, if you're not careful. It, it just makes what, the way we optimize the tax efficiency of the portfolio even more and more valuable. Right, I think, and I think this goes back to the point you were making earlier about uh, structuring your your distributions or your retirement income in such a way that you avoid uh, getting in one of these higher brackets and having to pay these additional taxes. Yeah. So, do you have any more thoughts on tax management? Well, you know, my original point uh, was that's just one area because the original point was coordinating. The the wealth um, the wealth planning just across investments taxes and cash flow planning and the the higher these tax rates go up um, regardless of where you fall politically most people I meet don't don't want to pay more tax than is required whereas their patriotic obligation to pay 
um, just for the sake of paying them. And I think the the one area, um, I think most of us are very, very aware of, um, hey, I've I've generated a paycheck or an earning and and tax are being paid. Um, But in all the hype that goes around about different types of investment strategies, I think what's minimized by the investment uh, product purveyors is the tax consequences. Uh, so even something that might be positioned as a risk-managed type of uh, investment strategy that moves in and out of different areas at all the right time, um, if, it, if it had an average return, and, then, and you point out that that's a whole different debate about those types of strategies and, and the poor results they have in beating the market or, or accomplishing those objectives. But assume they have an average return, but because of the, the nature of how they have to invest, they don't put a lot of focus on the tax management. It, it could substantially reduce the after-tax portion to mean that you've taken a strategy that you thought was a risk-managed approach, but um, really, for a lot less risk, you could have gotten the same after-tax return by using tax-free bonds, for example, and a combination of a well-diversified or globally diversified portfolio that was very tax-efficient through the nature of the investments that you're utilizing, uh, or simply shifting those types of investments into uh, a tax-deferred account you know, would be one strategy that you would want to continue to monitor. Right, and uh, one thing I'd point out uh, on those do. those types of strategies is that uh, fund providers are they're required to to show you their their rates of return, but they are not required to show you the after tax rates of return, as that would be different for each person you know, depending on their tax situation. But it's something that gets overlooked, and it's, yeah. it is it is a drag on returns. The other areas um, or opportunities there. Uh, Eric would uh, would be um, you know really to to um, coordinate uh, the withdrawals on your IRA accounts um, in years that you have lower income, either do conversions or increase the withdrawal to the top to to uh, fulfill the top of that particular bracket. So if you were pulling money out in a fifteen percent bracket, one idea would be. Well, geez, if I don't, in a few years, I'll be in a higher bracket because of the required distributions that I make. Where there's years or opportunities that I can pull more out, um, I'll do that. Um, but all of this you know, requires a relationship, particularly if you're utilizing an advisor who cares about all the every little detail inside of your financial situation. They want you to do better, and whether it's reducing transaction costs by the way they structure the portfolio, whether it's um, looking for opportunities, even small opportunities that all, the the culmination of which all add up to significant value, um, making sure that, geez, we're not even missing one single year's contribution in a, in a in an individual retirement account or Roth account. Um, every every chance that they have to to coordinate across everything you're doing to optimize your liabilities and relative to your assets um, for the right reasons. And uh, I just, I've just i just seen it. It's something I've seen more and more of where um, people come and they have a group of various investments, but those investments aren't answering the real important questions, which is, geez, am I, am I doing the right thing? How am I going to get the money that I need 
Um, now, how do I how do I go into that endeavor and be confident about it? And you know, right on the cover here of uh, the investment news for January 13th through the 17th, uh, the world according to John, and it's what is it? Tile Tile Tile, who is the head of Merrill's Merrill Lynch's wealth unit, um, leads charge for goals based planning, and um, you know we're we got a couple minutes. I thought I would I would read a little of this, Eric, and relate it to what we're talking about. Sounds good. Because um, we've been doing this approach for, I don't know, over, over a decade. It's interesting that they're just now, I'm sure he's a very smart individual. They have to have smart people on their staff. And they're just now coming to this conclusion. But um, the power of simplicity has made it to the top of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management head John Tile's favorite book list. And it is easy to see why, as a man in charge of keeping uh, Bank of America's broker-dealer unit profitable, he believes the brokerage industry is undergoing a fundamental shift toward keeping things simple. In Jack Trout's book, which bills itself as a management guide to cutting through the nonsense and doing things right, serves to inspire um, Mr. Tiles as Merrill's leadership team, invests $100 million dollars uh, in in the new Merrill Lynch One technology platform and pushes Merrill's 14,000-plus advisors to more fully embrace goals-based wealth management. The move toward simplicity, which coincides... I don't know what simplicity has to do with that exactly, um, but we'll find out. Uh, the move toward simplicity, which coincides with Merrill Lynch's 100th year in operation, comes as the firm continues to recover from the financial crisis of 2008 when the thundering herds world got really complicated, billions of dollars in losses at the time forced the brokerage behemoth uh, acquisition by Bank of America as frustrated brokers uh, watched the fiduciary debate unfold, questioning whether a single standard should even uh, or could be applied to both commission-based and fee-based advisors. After a net loss of 2,000 financial advisors over the past five years, Merrill is reshaping itself, according to Mr. Tile, 52, said the technology is a big driver behind the change. Merrill One introduced last fall merges five old platforms and helps advisors gauge performance-tied specific goals, such as retirement and college savings, he said. Uh, I'm skipping here. Goals versus performance. Mr. Thiel tells the story of meeting a retired business consultant and his wife two years ago when the couple came to New York for a client review. What struck him was the couple's desire to talk about personal financial goals rather than their portfolio's performance against the S&P 500 benchmark. Uh, he was more re- uh, worried um, about the right Listen to that. Oh, that his wife would would say, I can't believe you wrote some stuff in here. Sorry. Um and it goes on, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of scanning this. Talk about this idea of, of some them, and then there's some other advisors in the industry that have created and spent a lot of money creating platforms to focus on, um, rather than just selling or pitching investments, but really understanding uh, what clients are trying to achieve and what their personalities are like, um, to hopefully get to better better solutions. So I have some ideas and some other things about this, Merrill Lynch, um, but we're going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to share a little bit about the Merrill history, just for fun. 
and um, we'll do that. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to the final segment empirical investing radio i'm eric lear alongside ken smith and ken before the break you were uh, reading an article in investment news about merrill lynch about how they're they're shifting to uh goals-based planning apparently um and it, something that you you had mentioned in the uh the article about how merrill had noticed a a big exodus of financial advisors um something that 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 we've noticed is that uh, a lot of a lot of people in in this industry like to call themselves financial advisors, um, when in fact a lot of them are uh, tend to be what we would call stockbrokers, and uh, their their job is not necessarily to provide you with financial advice. Their job is to create commissions by buying and selling securities. So. That's something to keep in mind when someone's actually calling them a financial, calling themselves a financial advisor. Try to think about what what they're actually doing and what their their motivation is. Which which is not to say that all uh, stockbrokers are you know they're out to to try to cheat the client. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of these people have their clients' best interests at heart. Um, but uh, something that our our colleague Ethan Broca always likes to to point out is that. 
even well-meaning advisors or brokers or CPAs, uh, a lot of times will take the approach that, well, how am I going to maximize uh, things for my client this year? And at Empirical, the approach we take is how are we going to maximize uh, things over a client's lifetime, which which is a different approach. Uh, so I don't know if that helps give you a lead in there, Ken. Yeah, I, I anyway, I was as I was reading that, I, I I would like all the brokerage companies to agree to go to a fiduciary standard where they are forced to put their clients' interest. And what what bothers me probably more than anything is when they they do it as a business decision because they're losing not only their employees but they're losing the clients and they're growing at a much slower rate than the independent companies who do. Uh, embrace this idea of a fiduciary standard and then after they're drug into it kicking and screaming and lobbying against having to be a, then they run advertisements and like to pat themselves on the back for being innovators and doing what's right for the client and that's the part that bothers me probably the most about the industry in that way just being on the inside of it and seeing how that's worked and I had just Googled, searched a few things about Marilyn, came to this law firm, um, and this is not my information, it's put together, it's this Shepard Smith Edwards and Cuntus uh, law firm, and they do various litigation and arbitration work um, for individual investors. I don't know any of these people, and I, and so I'm not, I'm not um, vouching for the, the group or the side or any of that, but um, it gives a pretty good history just about how Merrill's had started as a company and and how it progressed. And they kind of get to some of the uh, issues that they bumped in, just a few. And uh, Merrill Lynch gave inside information to favored clients. Uh, this may sound familiar, but the event in question occurred in 1966. So starting back then, the SEC charged Merrill with passing on confidential information about Douglas Aircraft an investment banking client to its institutional clients prior to a debt offering. The company either admitted or denied the allegations but agreed to pay fines. The following year, earning uh, Merrill earned a record $55 million of um, profit. Merrill Lynch broker arrested in fraud in 1986, less than a year before the largest one-day drop. Scandal rocked Merrill Lynch when 23-year-old Merrill Lynch broker was arrested by the FBI for mail fraud. His complex fraud uh, involved huge sums, including $10 million from a single investor's account. The class, uh, the case drew international attention because it involved such a, a young, low-level Merrill employee. A few minutes later, but before the 87 crash, Merrill lost $377 million trading mortgage-backed securities, the largest one-day one, one uh, company trading loss in Wall Street history, and the events uh, left many wondered about the management of the firm. Uh, Merrill Lynch sued by Orange County, although one of the richest neighborhoods in the country, Orange County, California, was forced into bankruptcy in 1994. After losing nearly $2 billion in mortgage-backed securities, Merrill Lynch was at the center of the controversy as the largest seller of such securities to Orange County. For years, such investments had been made using public funds, including on-margin when the Federal Reserve raised rates, the portfolio collapsed. Merrill Lynch again denied wrongdoing, but there are issues as to why public funds were being invested in this manner. Merrill Lynch settled the civil claims. 
Merrill Lynch's role in the Enron scandal in less than a year in 2002, Enron Corp. went from a darling of Wall Street into bankruptcy after it was learned that the firm grossly misled investors as to its earnings. Investment firms, including Merrill Lynch, expressed outrage over these activities of Enron and its executives. Yet, in 2004, four former Merrill Lynch executives were found guilty of fraud and conspiracy to pass off a loan for, from Merrill as a sale of three power barges moored off the coast of Nigeria in late 1999. The transaction was used to distort Enron's earnings. Merrill Lynch paid over $90 million in fines for failing to supervise these agents. Since that time, Merrill Lynch and other firms have worked to distance themselves from the Enron scandal. But Eric is, is making sure that doesn't happen. And succeeded. For example, just as Merrill was, final, was to finally go to trial in a class action filed against it by Enron shareholders, an appellate court suddenly decided that although Merrill Lynch may have assisted Enron in defrauding shareholders, the Federal Securities Act did not allow Enron shareholders to pursue the claims against Merrill. Laws now prevent class action claims concerning securities to be filed under any other law, and that law no longer allows claims for aiding and abetting. Thus, the Enron shareholders have now been scammed by the legal system. The case is currently before the Supreme Court, but observers say it is not likely to be reinstated. Merrill Lynch's role in the analyst report scandal, and I'll just go through a few more. We don't have time to go through every single <laughs> one of these here. But um, while the SEC and the National Association of Securities Dealers on the sidelines, New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer filed charges against Merrill Lynch and other major Wall Street firms for giving by recommendations based on obtaining and keeping firms as investment banking clients of Merrill, rather than because of expected growth in the price of the firm's shares or even the firm's survival. So basically, they're giving buy recommendations on keeping, uh, because they wanted to keep the investment banking business of these particular firms they were recommending, Instead of focusing on the, the the companies, the stocks that they're recommending on the actual earnings prospects, the New York um, Attorney General found that Merrill Lynch's investment analysts, especially its its internet analyst Henry Blodgett, had given favorable coverage to failing corporations. Central to the case were internal emails in which Blodgett was berating companies at the same time he was publicly recommending the purchase of their shares. And uh, guess who paid out $100 million? Merrill Lynch paid out $100 million to settle with the state of New York and another $100 million to resolve claims by the NASD and the SEC, latecomers to the investigation. It's impressive. A couple more. I think we, we have time for... Uh, no, we don't. We're out of time. Uh, there's several more here. They were guilty in the Martha Stewart case. Um. And that's a good one I wanted to get to. Uh, but there's so many, there's not a lot of time. And so my point is just, I, Nathan and I talk about this all the time, um, don't always take what is in the advertisements or what is positioned, but you really need to do your due diligence on, on who you're working with as an advisor. Thank you for tuning in this week, and uh, we'll be back next week on Empirical Investing Radio. Have a great week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 